Hello, I'm Eric Holdeman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters of all types. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews with people dealing with all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. Here's today's program. This podcast is being sponsored by Dynamis a leading provider of information management software and security solutions. You can find them at dynamis.com. Welcome to the Disaster Zone podcast. With me today is Michael Bushmull. Michael has served as a communications instructor for FEMA, as well as a disaster preparedness consultant for the city of Berkeley, California. As the president of Applause Associates, he has taught people around the world. And this is the second of a three-part series. Uh, part two, today's podcast, will focus on how to write email that engages and persuades. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to speak with you and share ideas. All right. And you know, part one, we talked about verbal communications. Um, you know, when did your interest in writing become um, important to you? Well, it's hard to trace the exact spot back, but I know this. When I left home to study to become a priest, the first courses that I took were in philosophy. I have a degree in philosophy. We had to do a lot of writing and essays. And also, once I became a priest, I had to write sermons and so on. I remember, in fact, the last Good Friday when I was a priest, I preached over a three-hour period on Good Friday. I preached 14 sermons. Each of them was exactly 90 seconds long. So I had to carefully write out 90-second things. My college major before I went into the seminary was advertising art. So I studied advertising and marketing my entire life. And it's been something I've now been able to teach to people from all levels, including Microsoft lawyers, uh, city managers, and many people uh, around the world, really. So I've, I've been interested, continue to be interested in writing. And I wrote a book two years ago called Make Your Voice Heard, a book for women who are politicians who are um, giving campaign speeches and so on. Okay. Um, so you're an author, right? That gives you yes. some credibility, street cred. Mm -hmm. But what, what's the biggest mistake people make when writing email? You know, we're focused on email. And that's something... People say, you know, well, I don't write my, I don't really write, but we're all writing email if you're in a profession, so. Yes, there's a saying that no matter what you are hired to do, everyone writes for a living. And maybe more so with the pandemic going on and many people working from home or home offices, they're probably doing more writing as well as things like Zoom and other online tools, but they're doing a lot of writing. The biggest mistake I think is this, and I see this constantly. The biggest mistake is trying to write to groups. Groups don't read. Individuals do. Reading is an individual act performed by one person at a time. So I would never write dear friends. Friends don't read. It's dear friend, dear colleague, dear council member, dear parent. Okay. And so people think they're writing to groups as if you're standing in front of a room. You're not. You're trying to connect with an individual reader. There's one reader at a time. And in order to do that, I have three basic tips I'd like to share with you for, for doing that. First, 
the idea of speaking to one reader, I think of it this way. I always ask groups, have you ever written a love letter? If you're writing a love letter, would you have these words in it? Many of you, all of you, or some of you. I hope not. When you're writing, you're writing, you're trying to write to one special person. So think of that. You're sitting down across from one person talking to that one person. It's always the singular you. It's sometimes a hard mental shift to make, but it can make a huge difference. Dear customer, dear uh, disaster director, not disaster directors. Okay, that's the first point. Second, here's how you achieve it, my second big idea. Try this. Include the word you or your, Y-O-U-R, in sentence one of everything you write. As soon as you insert the word you in the first sentence, you make a, you make a connection with that individual reader. I'll give you five quick examples. You can begin any email or any document with thank you, thank you for, thank you has you in it, or thanks for your something. Second, you want something from the reader? I could, you could start out with, I could really use your advice, or I have a special favor to ask you. Third, I'll, I'll do this when I'm not sure how to start. I will start by typing the word you or your as my first word, like your comment in yesterday's meeting surprised me, or um, you said something that made a lot of sense to me. Fourth, if you're doing a resume for a resume, you're sending out a cover letter. I recommend, I'll recommend a couple of things for cover letters. Your ad on the internet caught my eye. Or another line you could use in a cover letter. I was excited to see your ad for uh, whatever it is. And finally, if you're sending long documents, you could try something like this. In this report, you will find, get the word you in there, and that connects immediately with that one reader. The third of the tips I wanna make, main tips about email are this, is this. You've got one reader, connect with the word you in the first sentence. The third tip, get your entire email message within the first three sentences. Now, what is your message? What is it you want the reader to know or to do? And you wanna to try to get it in the first three sentences. You can use the rest of the email or an attachment to explain, to justify, to give other ideas. Let me give you a quick example of how to get your message across in only two sentences. Um, let's say you're writing to someone you don't like. This person is your enemy. Here's how you can connect with them. In the first sentence, I have a favor to ask you. Second sentence, would you seek employment elsewhere? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But get your message up front. What is it you want the reader to know or to do? The sooner they know what you want, the sooner they can respond. Too often in email, we bury what we really want at the end of the email. And these days when people are busy and they get so many contacts, they may not get to the end of your email. Get what you want up front. So those are my three main uh, email tips. Uh, you've got one reader, connect with the word you, get your message across right up front the first three sentences. Well, I'll, I'll ask you to provide one other one because I've heard you talk about email in the past. And I want to say um, it has to do with attachments. When do you attach the document to your email? That's a good question. Uh, you have a choice. You could put information in email, of course, or there's whole, all, sort, all sorts of other documents, official documents or whatever. 
that simply you want to attach because you don't want to put them in the body of the email or maybe they're in some special form that goes out by PDF or whatever. Uh, I don't know if there's any particular rules for that. Oh, well, I'll, I'll give you your rule is attach the document first. Ah, then address. Yes. So because we all send emails and we forgot to attach the document. Yes, that, that is something. I, yeah, it's a good point. Attach it for and then I found also when you attach something like that, open your your attachment, open your own attachment to see if it's the right one. I've actually had a document when I opened it, the, the formatting had changed, the paragraphs had moved. So I had a, uh, I had to uh, correct my own attachment. Yes, I just did this the other day. I checked the invoice I was sending someone and it was the wrong invoice. So not a bad tip there, Mike. Yeah. Well, how about, um, how can we handle complaints or angry email? Uh, hopefully people aren't getting those, but certainly complaints do come and occasionally there's an angry email. Oh, sure. What should we do when perhaps it's ourselves who are angry about something and ready to send an email? Okay. Well, let's start with the basic thing. People complain, don't they? We get angry. We all do. Why? What underlies all anger or all complaints? Very simply put, it's this. We get angry when we don't get what we want. Expectations can create suffering. If you're expecting something and you don't get it, you can get angry. And so, again, it's, we're not having our needs met. We want something. So, in receiving any kind of an angry email or, or anger in person, you, re you have to realize that what you're getting is from someone who at some level is suffering because this person did not get what he or she wanted. Therefore, I think that what they really need is compassion. They need empathy. That's why one of my greatest listening techniques, when you're listening to somebody who's complaining, start out with, uh, with the phrase, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry you suffered, not I'm sorry I made a mistake. Start with passion and empathy for their situation. I'm so sorry you had that experience. I'm so sorry you had to wait. It's harder actually to write um, good responses in email than it is to actually do it because your tone of voice can communicate that you really care. You share in the suffering of that person. So now along that line though, I want to make a, another comment about be careful when you're writing email, especially about saying anything negative. And the rule certainly is this, never say anything, never write anything negative, especially about people. It can come back to destroy your whole career. So I love this piece of advice. Um, uh, if you can't say something nice about someone, at least say something vague. That's kind of safe, right? And there's a great line I heard from an old newspaper editor who used to get hate mail. And so sometimes he would write back to the person who sent the hate mail like this. Dear Mr. Jones, just want you to know that some moron has been sending me vicious racist messages and signing your name to them. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I won't need to use that one, but uh, yeah. yes. Well, uh, so far it's been great, Michael. Um, we're going to take a quick break uh, right now uh, for a word from our podcast sponsor, and we'll be right back. 
This podcast is being sponsored by Cobra, an emergency management software solution. Cobra provides a cloud-based EOC software that is intuitive, collaborative, and affordable. Visit cobrasoftware.com. We are talking to Michael Bushmull about communicating and writing, in particular in email, but I, I think this could apply to memos and letters and other things. So uh, continuing on here, Michael, uh, what are some of your favorite writing tips? Okay, two tips in particular. First, has to do with emphasis. When you're writing a sentence, you have a beginning, a middle, and end of the sentence. In that sentence, usually there's one biggest idea. Question is, where do you place the biggest idea? And the answer is simple. It's at the end. Emphasis is always at the end. So when you're writing something, put your biggest word or idea last. It could be the last word or among the last words. Here's a great example of a quotation that I've actually heard from two different actresses in movies. Grace Kelly and Catherine Hepburn have both used the same line in movies. And here's the line. The time to make up your mind about people is never. The time to make up your mind about people is never. It all comes down to that last word. When you put your biggest idea last, you add impact. And there's a, there's a Chinese proverb that says it this way. When the words end, the meaning flows on. And so whatever you say last will stick in the mind of the listener or the reader because, they, because reading is really a form of listening. So that's one idea, my favorite. Put your biggest idea at the end of a sentence for every sentence. The beginning, of course, a sentence is also important because it usually introduces the subject. The other technique I really like is uh, it's called contrast statements. To avoid misunderstanding, and there's so much of it, there's an ancient technique and you usually make two, two statements that are connected usually by the word, are separated by the word but, as in hot and cold. And there's a contrast. Some famous examples from Kennedy's inaugural speech. Um, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the great speech by Martin Luther King Jr., in the middle of the speech, he had a series of contrast statements. One of the most famous is this one. Um, I have a dream that someday my four little children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And Shakespeare's most famous and remembered line from Hamlet is a contrast statement. You know it. To be or not to be, that is the question. So therefore, as a, as a format, I have this little formula. You start out with these elements. You start out with the whatever you're going to use as the, as the contrast word like the problem, the issue before us, the solution, the best way, um, and you add your topic, is not, it's this. So let's say you are living in a city and you're not happy with the way the city is being managed or run. You go to a city council meeting, and with great courage you stand up and say, I believe that the problem with our city is not lack of revenue, it's lack of leadership. And then you quickly leave the room, get in your car, and drive away, right? And this is also used, this technique of contrast statements is loved by politicians. 
It's a way to win applause in a political speech. One quick example from 1994, President Clinton, in his State of the Union address, made a comment about welfare. His line was, welfare ought to be a second chance, not a way of life. So those are the two techniques that I like to recommend. Uh, put your biggest idea, most important idea at the end of sentences, and when you can, create contrast statements, because what you're doing with the contrast is, you're comparing the lie with the truth, the fiction with the fact, the myth with the reality, and that can be very powerful. Okay, um, now if I can just remember all these tips, Michael. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go back to writing email and um, just do what I've always been doing, unfortunately. But I'll, I'll, some of it will stick, I think. So uh, lastly, what's the single best advice you have for handling email? And I, I know people that get hundreds of emails a day and they're just overwhelmed. I'll, you know, I, I don't know what my count is, but I kind of buzz through them and pay attention to some. I, I don't know. I, I'm looking for how do you handle What's the best tip you had for handling email? Yeah, that, that's a difficult thing, isn't it? We look at who sent it, first of all, don't we? The sender is really important. Uh, sometimes it's spam, whatever. If we know the person's name, it's gonna be more important. The, the next thing beside the sender, of course, is the, um, the subject line. I have a technique I'll, I'll just share with you quickly for subject lines. Uh, most people have never thought of this or maybe wouldn't even want to do it. I write my subject lines in all caps, and there's a definite reason for it. Um, normally, we write capital letters when we're writing documents because it's, uh, it's non-written um, non way to it's interpreted as being you're shouting or, or whatever. Right. But I want my subject line to shout at the reader because it's, I want him to read it. And the other reason I use capital letters is this, I'm an artist and a cartoonist. I've studied cartooning, I've had a comic strip in the past. A cartoonist who uses cartoon balloons when you have characters talking, they always use all capital letters. And the reason is, when that cartoon that you've drawn is reduced to newspaper size, it's almost impossible to read lowercase letters in a cartoon balloon. So all caps are easier to read. So I figure, I want subject lines to be read by the reader and they're going to read something more in all caps more easily. I, throw, I use that technique. I'm not suggesting anyone has to, but that's my technique. Now here's the biggest idea of all though. This is it. I found this actually in a Buddhist magazine and this says it all. Read email entirely twice before you compose a response. Read email entirely twice before you compose a response. I had a man in a class said this. He got email. He was so angry with it. He went to his computer and for two hours, he wrote a response. Two hours, he poured out all of his negative feelings. He went back and he reread the original email. He had misread it. He had just wasted two hours of his life because he didn't read it carefully. It's so easy to be triggered by something in email and misinterpret it. Take the extra time. If it's going to be important to read it a second time, and that reminds me of a funny line from Mark Twain who said, be careful about reading medical books. You could die from a misprint. <laughs> well, and or I guess <laughs> reading information on the internet today, who, who knows is on the other end of that. Oh yeah. Giving you medical advice. But. 
Well, all, all great tips for handling email and, and writing email, Michael. So I, I just want to say thank you to Michael Bushmull for being the guest here on the Disaster Zone podcast. Uh, it's, it's been my pleasure. Can I add one more thing quickly? And that is, when you sign off of email, I find people are lazy. They'll say, really, thank you, or something like that. Why not use the time of the day, the time of the year? We have 10 paid holidays in America. Happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, uh, whatever. Instead of just saying something that's bland, say something that's alive and fresh, like hugs and kisses, if that makes sense but make it sound more fresh and alive than standard old fashioned things. Thank you, Eric. All right, well, thank you, Michael. Um, so this has been the second part on uh, a three-part series. Uh, the first part was on verbal communications. We talked about email today. Watch for an upcoming part three of this series where Michael will cover how to make presentations that convince people uh, to take action. Lastly, a reminder to everyone to be safe. Think about what you can do today to become better prepared for the next disaster and become more disaster resilient. Perhaps it will be by learning to communicate better via email. Thanks for listening and tune again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's Disaster Zone podcast. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters and what people and organizations are doing about them. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.